everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode, uh, number 55, in which we will be talking about the next uh, best picture. Uh, I did want to try and do a full episode this week, but uh, that didn't work out. That'll be next week. Um, but this week, we are going to be talking about Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves, his much, ma- much maligned best picture uh, from 1990. Uh, but before we do that, we will welcome in, he's been gone for like 38 weeks, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Doing all right. How Merry you? Christmas. Merry, oh, no, it's over. And a happy new year. It's all over. Well, happy new year. That can be. You I can guess say so. that one now. I don't like happy new year. When I was a kid, I never, like, oh, I have a happy new year. And it's like, no, the new year means I'm going back to school. That is not happy. That is a bad thing. That's true. Well, now you don't have to go back to school anymore. No, I just stay here in my dumb house and work. No, there thank you. you. Happy also, new happy year. new year. And happy new year also meant Christmas is over. And I'm, that's true. And th- that always bummed me it out. It does mean that. New year. Yeah. New year's Eve and new year's day. Those were always like a, uh, like a Sunday night for me. I could never really enjoy myself on Sunday nights because, Oh, uh, cause Monday morning's right around the corner. Exactly. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, okay. So, uh, we are going to get into it. Uh, we're going to be talking about Dances with Wolves, directed by uh, Kevin Costner, written by Michael Blake, based on his novel that came out a few years before. All right. Here we go. Here we go. I rewatched this movie in preparation for this. I, in fact, watched the four-hour director's cut. Really? Or I believe it's called the extended edition. It is arguable how much input he had. A, at some point, he, w- he apparently had all the input, and then later he said he had none. I have no idea. In the theatrical version? In the extended uh, edition that they released. They recut it, added an hour, and then and then released it in theater like a year and a half later. Um, so it's not like this was something that happened for Blu-ray. This happened, it had a second theatrical run that was longer. That so, is strange. It is very strange. Um, I will say this, um, the extended edition is better. It really? is much better hmm. um, because a lot of the complaints that people have about Dances with Wolves, in my opinion, go away in the extended edition. Really? That is interesting. Um, and so, but before we get into that, uh, I guess we'll just talk a little bit about uh, about the film and, and kind of where it is in film history. Uh, it is the film that beat Goodfellas. That's the only, that's really the only way that a lot of film people think of dances with wolves mm-hmm. um it was viewed as just a, a a decade before martin scorsese and a film of his were nominated raging bull lost out to another film that was an actor's directorial debut ordinary people so we'll be talking about that in a while but uh and then th- then it happened again and people are like what is going on here why does this keep happening <laughs> and uh so that is basically where it is in history. Uh, as I've mentioned before, David and I were on uh, 11 points countdown talking about the, the least deserving best picture winners as voted by their uh, viewers and dances with the wolves was one of them. And I think at the time I said, well, it's, it's not that bad of a movie. It, it merely isn't good fellas. And, uh, I think I first saw it many, many years ago. I, I had a fairly good memory for it, but not much. Not mm-hmm. enough that when I saw the new one uh, or the, the extended edition, uh, I didn't. Im- 
there were scenes that I didn't necessarily recognize, but I didn't immediately peg them as that's new. Uh, my wife, Jen, has seen the movie enough that she knew exactly what was new. Oh, really? Uh, which was actually quite helpful. Yeah. And so, uh, so I'll talk more about that in a moment, but I'll throw it to you. When is the last time you saw the film? I probably saw it in college, so it's been a while. Was that your first time seeing it? Yes. So you've yeah. seen it probably once or twice? I think I've only seen it once. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what was your, uh, what was your response? I didn't dislike it when I saw it. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't blown away, but I remember thinking like, that's, that's all right. Here's the most enduring thing about the movie to me. When you, when I didn't know anything about the movie, I thought it was dances plural with wolves, like more than one dance with a wolf. That's a good podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Watch out spinoff. Um, and then watching the movie, got it. I realized it's an action. Yes, it's, and a name. Yes, it's the action. It's it's the action that he does that becomes his name. Yes, dances with wolves because yeah. he's a person who dances with wolves. That's As, what I got out of the movie. Okay, all right. Well, I think you got most of it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. Really, the extended edition is just more of that. Uh, it's More about dancing. an hour of them really trying to explain to him why they call him that. And he's like, mm-hmm. but I wasn't dancing. I was just kind of playing with it. So, um, so, so you, you view the movie as fine, nothing particularly great, but certainly, uh, not worthy of the, the, the anger that it, that it caused. I mean, I, I know that I like Goodfellas a lot more and I know mm-hmm. that Goodfellas is a movie that's you know, that I like a lot and that stuck with me more. So in terms of what should have won, I think I can, you know, I can be upset about that. Right. But, uh, I guess, you know, I, I don't dislike it as much as I dislike, for instance, the English patient, like right. that, I think is a terrible movie. That's that, basically the gold standard at this point. Right. I mean, I know you don't me, like I Tom think. Jones. Well, Tom Jones, you're not a big fan of out of Africa. Uh, yeah, out of Africa, I just remember being boring. That's okay. that's all I can remember. About I haven't it. seen it, and I guess I'll have to watch it soon. Yeah, yeah, we're only five off from that, aren't we? Yeah, um, that's probably one I should watch again too. Uh, one of three best picture winners. That uh, is it. Three? I'm pretty sure it is. The deal with Danish royalty. Oh, interesting. You're talking about. Uh out of Africa. Yeah. I feel like that's uh, something to further explore later on down the line. Yeah. Um, so so you, everyone out there, you have uh, five minisodes to figure out what the other two are. Oh boy. That'll be, I, I'm okay. No, I can't think about it right now. No. I've got other things. To talk you you got to talk about dances with wolves. Indeed. Uh, so, okay. Uh, it's been so long since we've actually recorded a mini. So that I'm kind of, uh, out of practice as far as the format. I don't remember. Like I kind of want to delve into it, but I'm, I'm nervous to delve too much into it. He, so here's what I'll say in regards to the extended edition. I, I'll, you know what? Actually, I'll say this first. Um, Dances with Wolves is viewed as uh, a movie that uh, you and I have talked about before. Um, in fact, it falls into a couple of, uh, a couple of categories, which is the concept of the noble savage mm-hmm. and the concept of the white savior. Yeah. I, you know what, speaking on that, I feel like I would, that would bother me more seeing it again Mm -hmm. because that's come to bother me more the more that I've seen it in film. Right. And the more that I kind of recognize it as a trope, which I think is, uh, 
is kind of comes from a damaging point of view that I really don't like. Um, and I remember when I saw it, I saw it with someone who, uh, had a very, uh, someone who had a very strong heart for the native American people Yeah, and who liked the movie because of that. Yeah. So I think I may have seen it a little bit more positively, positively in that light because of that. I'm not sure. It's been a while again. I, I don't totally remember, but, uh, but I wonder now going back with that in mind, I wonder if I would more see that as a, as a negative treatment of native Americans rather than something that's painting them in a positive light. And I will say this, uh, a lot of, a lot of good things come through in watching this film. One thing that you do get is a real sense of a culture that is gone and it's not, it wasn't gone by natural causes. It was gone because, you know, Europeans and stuff killed it. And I think there is an inherent tragedy in that. There is, I mean, I, I, I do understand why someone would have a heart for the native Americans. Like they did not invite this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, and you kind of learn about that culture uh, a little bit in the film. And, and I appreciated that because it seemed genuine. In the extended edition, I would go so far as to say it is not a noble savage film. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, they, they add a couple of scenes that really, uh, scenes and narration that really change the way we look at these characters. Hmm. We still see them as... You know, we're still on board with them, but we do not think that they are pure by any stretch. There's a, a scene that I believe uh, is, it's in the film where uh, this tribe, I believe they're, uh, oh shoot, they're not, I don't think they're Pawnee. I think they're Sioux. And they, uh, they're chasing buffalo, and then they come across a lot of dead buffalo that have been stripped of their hides, and they're just laying there, and and. You know, they, they lament that, uh, and they see wagon tracks. And so it was, you know, some white hunters who just shot them for their skins and their tongues. It doesn't say what use their tongues have, but I find that interesting. Hmm. Um, and that just, they just left them. Whereas of course this tribe would use every part of the Buffalo and, hmm. and that it was very wasteful. So it's like, okay, well that's frustrating, especially because the, the, this tribe so desperately needs, uh, Buffalo in order to, to survive. Um, within a, so that's the scene that I believe was in the theatrical cut. And then what Jen told me as we watched, uh, as we continued watching it, there is a scene later on where Kevin Costner, it is nighttime. He happens a, upon the, the village with the, with the, the Sioux and there is a party going on and he sees that they're dressed, that they have like war paint on and they're dancing around a fire rather wildly and he sees that, uh, oh, they've got some scalps uh, on their sticks. And he looks over and sees a wagon with some buffalo hides, and the wagon has been destroyed. There is a, uh, a, an amputated white hand that is hanging off of, uh, off of a pole. Hmm. And he says, it and in the narration, it's something like, it became clear to me what had happened. And he says, I started to wonder if perhaps these white, you know, if these white hunters had, a f had families and if what they did genuinely deserve, uh, if they deserved death. Hmm. And then he said, as I looked at, at, uh, the tribe, part of me wanted to believe that they weren't taking pleasure in the killing of these men, but that would be a lie. Hmm. 
Hmm. Pretty it, like that. There you go. I th- like it makes them look, frankly, a little bit savage, kind of overreactors. Mm-hmm. And he starts to say, and certainly there are plenty of like negative white characters in the film, but, and we never actually see these guys, but the fact that he speculates that like, did they deserve this? Like they're just hunters, uh, just trying to make, you know, they don't, they have different priorities. They were never raised to have a different, pri- you know, to, to prioritize, prioritize every part of the Buffalo. And so it just scenes like that make a huge difference. Because it at least acknowledges that, yeah, and, and I mean, there's, you know, there are the, the Sioux are, are warring with the Pawnee. And so, and there's, there's a scene of, of battle between them. I think that's in the, in the theatrical cut as well, but it makes it clear like, yeah, they're fighting with each other as well. Like it's Hmm. not as though the concept of war was introduced by the white man. Yeah. So I actually think it's the extended cut for me worked really well. Hmm. Um, and I think it undercuts the idea of the noble savage and in watching the whole film, I don't think it's a white savior movie either because he doesn't save them from anything. Hmm. And you and I've talked about avatar in the past yeah, and that, you know, the, the char- the human character who is not a Navi, he joins in and becomes the best one. Yeah. This guy is not the best one. Hmm. He just, he merely, joins their culture and that's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And so as time has gone on, I, I realized that like a lot of what, and again, theatrical cut, theatrical cut different than extended, but, uh, based on what I think is now considered sort of the definitive cut of the film. Like, I think it is the only cut you can get on Blu-ray. Hmm. Um, I don't this know if one that's, that you watch. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but I know that that's the one that, uh, that is more readily available. Hmm. And so looking at it like that, I feel like a lot of the criticisms leveled at the film is from a thematic standpoint, uh, kind of, uh, melt away. Hmm. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, this wound up being a very educational experience. Yeah. Uh, that speaks a lot to, I don't know, to the difference in quality of the film. Yeah. And it's, and the fact that, I mean, the fact that Kevin Costner, you know, it's not like he went back and shot those scenes. Right, right. He shot them in the first place. But I think, I think the studio probably r- rightly recognized, you already have three hours. <laughs> Maybe we don't need a fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the film was, you know, a runaway smash. I mean, it made crazy money. And so I think they were willing to let him do whatever it is he wanted to do and maybe, frankly, make a little bit more money off of it. Yeah. Um, That's one of those ones that always is curious to me. I wonder why it is that something like that becomes a runaway success, you know? I was just on the sequel cast and we were talking about Alien and that it was the sixth highest grossing movie of 1979. Do, do you know what number one was? What? Kramer versus Kramer. Man. And then we've talked about how Forrest Gump was number one uh in 94 now i don't know what was number one in 1990 but i'm sure dances with wolves was high um and it's just it's weird to think that not long ago movies that were not intended to be blockbusters because frankly i mean certainly in 1979 the blockbuster was a fairly new idea but you had jaws and you had star wars and then that year you had star trek and and uh and let's see and alien and that sort of thing and so um Mm -hmm. It's just so strange to think that now 
franchise movies, it's a guarantee they will be number one. Avatar was a bit of a fluke. Yeah. Um, but everybody knew, like I remember saying before that movie come out, that that movie's either going to flop or it's going to be the biggest movie of the year. It has to be yeah. one of the two. And by being released at Christmas, I think that it yeah. made a difference. But uh, although Matt Singer uh, <coughs> recently wrote an article talking about like how, how interesting it is that a mere five years after Avatar, nobody cares about it. Oh yeah. Like nobody talks about it. Nobody cares about it. Despite there being there, you know, there's going to be, I think two sequels to it yeah. that nobody talks about it. Well, that's why I was so frustrated at the time when everybody was talking like, this is a game changer. People were saying like movies aren't going to be the same again. And I was like, are you kidding me? It's, I mean, it, it legitimized, I'll say this, it maybe legitimized 3d a little bit more. Yeah. But for a time, I think it's still going to go away eventually again i think when you've got somebody like uh uh oh shoot goodbye to language who directed that godard that the godard yeah i think which so. is 3d you've got like him and scorsese and Werner herzog and and vim vendors like when you have those guys doing 3d i don't i think it's here to stay but i don't know if that's necessarily true because is is herzog gonna make another 3d movie like he did maybe the one that one 3d because he said that would be the only way to make it as close to experiencing it as real yeah or as in real life and like i think a lot of these people like this is their foray into 3d while it's a big thing because i think 20 years from now if it's if people aren't doing it anymore if one of them wants to make a 3d movie i feel like the studio may balk at it a little bit they might i will you know what i will say that i just i just read an article saying that uh that 3d TVs are no longer going to be produced. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah. I think that's what it was. And so, um, so yeah, it might be that they're, that they're getting out of it, but at the same time, like tickets go up by three bucks and people will pay it. And so yeah. if there's money to be made, then it'll keep happening. But yeah, and, and certainly I, when he makes, you know, when he does the next avatar, uh, and certain, a movie like gravity, yeah, it does makes huge steps. I mean, everyone said you have to see it. Not merely in IMAX, but in 3D. Like, there are movies that come out and people say, you have to see it in this format. Yeah. So but I, I still think that may, could, <clears throat> could be a flavor of the month thing. And it, it's true that it tacks $3 onto the ticket price, but that's only that only makes a difference as long as that many more people want to see it in 3D. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people who either don't want to pay the extra or just don't care, and so they don't go to that one. So if you have a theater that's 3d equipped that's empty and then you have everyone else going and seating in the other theater then even though that one's more expensive i think the studio obviously can tell which one people want i think at this point i'm actually okay no matter what happens like a few years ago i would have said i'm ready for this to be done now when you see that there are filmmakers that actually do something with it Mm -hmm. i think now i'm just like okay if it sticks around fine someone will do something good with it it'll be misused just like any other special effect um but uh but there'll be some that that handle it well so anyway enough about avatar (laughs) um but yeah all that came from this idea it's like yeah uh why I think some of it was maybe uh, Kevin Costner was a big draw at the time. Yeah. He was the lead actor of the film. Yeah. Um, and, and do you think, do you think <clears throat> enough people knew and cared that it was his directorial debut? Like, was that, did that make it? I don't think they cared about him directing it. Really? But I think he was a star hmm. and uh, that, and it, it would, there was an epic quality to it that I think they probably played up the romance, which is, which is not a big part of the film. No, I, I hardly remember the romance. Yeah, but it's, and it's, and it, it's good. Mary McDonald's really good in the film. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as we saw from Titanic, if there's like an epic, if there's an epic, uh, period 
romance mm-hmm. with uh, an appealing lead actor, mm-hmm. I think people will go and see it. I don't yeah. know if it was like, you know, a bunch of teenage girls or anything, but I know that like, and it was seen as like an, as a, like a mature film. I mean, English Patient did very well yeah. as well amongst, it was viewed as like an adult love story, something that you could go and see with your, mm-hmm. with your spouse and, and enjoy. And then they would also have this historical quality to it. So I think it, it had a lot of elements that I think people are just, were just drawn to at the time. Maybe there's something about these ones that are able to, uh, to kind of equally appeal to both, uh, gender markets mm-hmm. essentially. Um, because it's, it's cowboys and Indians. So that seems like a, that's a stereotypically male draw. Yeah. Um, but that's, but at least, uh, big element of it is the is the romance and so that's more the traditionally stereotype female draw so maybe it's the mix of those two that makes that sort of thing a a winner i spend so little time thinking about box office that when i hear stuff like that like that kramer versus kramer thing <laughs> that that I, like that's, that that's also the same year as apocalypse now incidentally <laughs> that, and that's all like, that jazz that, and like movies that were popular yeah that's like if if like a separation was the, the highest selling movie for that year. i guess that's in another language so that's a different yeah. but, i mean I, it's it's like if in the bedroom was yeah. the, the top movie yeah i, I guess dustin hoffman was a big star meryl streep was a big yeah. star or like so enough said or something like that sure yeah <laughs> it's 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 cr- that's crazy yeah that is insane and so um but yeah, I, I'm sure there have been books and articles written about like why movies do well, especially movies that you wouldn't expect to. You mm-hmm. know, this is 1990. I don't know what was number one at the box office. I certainly know that the year before was Batman, and that stands to, you know, like that makes sense in a mo- with our modern sensibility. Yeah. Um, and so, but there are some that I just don't understand. I and then in '88, I know that Rain Man made a lot of money. Yeah. Um. So it's just I don't know. It doesn't. Uh, I don't understand any of these things, but that's, but you know, <laughs> none what? of it okay. makes any sense. None of it makes any sense at all, but you know what? I'm okay. At this point, like when somebody talks about how bad dances with wolves is, I'm going to defend it. Yeah. Uh, now I might, I might stipulate, I saw the extended edition and it's much better than the theatrical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, uh, the music by John Barry, who is an old, you know, I think he's, I think he's passed on by now, but I'm, I'm not sure, but he, you know, is an old time, uh, uh, an old time composer. He did, you know, the lion in winter, I think. Hmm. And so, um, so the music is really great and sweeping and I think it's gorgeous to look at. What I like is that, you know, it makes the planes look really good, but also there are scenes that take place down in the mud and it, and it all seems hmm. realistic. It seems like a place you could live in, um, scenes, you know, scenes where they're chasing the Buffalo and, and, you know, Jen, I think rightly said, how did they do that? Like, how, oh, where yeah. did they find all these Buffalo and why are they, how are they doing this? Um, cause there, you know, there were no visual effects. Uh, they're riding horses alongside a stampede of Buffalo. And if it feels like someone could get hurt. Yeah. Um, maybe someone did, who knows? Maybe someone did. Someone yeah. Maybe there was like a crazy casualties on the film. <laughs> could be. Um, and so, and I think the I think the acting uh, all around is very good as well. I think Kevin Costner is he's an interesting actor. I've heard people compare him to Gary Cooper. I think that's probably correct. Um, both of them have a very deliberate way of speaking that one could say seems like bad acting, but it isn't because I yeah. buy the emotions. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a very there's like a very straightforward nature, yeah. um, which can uh, suggest that there's just nothing behind it. Yeah. But at the same time can also be that he's just a 
a hundred percent like down to earth, honest man, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, I mean, I don't know if Kevin Costner has ever played a, a, a villain. That's not true. I did see 3000 miles to Graceland, which is an absolute train wreck of a movie that everyone should see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but there's, I think there's an inherent uh, decency to Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. but also uh, certainly as he got older, uh, a world weariness. That, yeah, uh, yeah. Like in a movie that he directed called Open Range, uh, I oh, think yeah. he's actually quite good in that. And so uh, his performance is great. Mary McDonnell, uh, who's a, an actress that I think has been, though she still acts, and I think she was she was on uh, Battlestar Galactica, and uh, that's kind of how. Oh, really? Yeah, she, she was the president. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how I think a lot of modern audiences think of her but i mean you and i saw her in a movie called passion fish which she was wonderful oh yeah yeah in. um she was in donnie darko she played donnie's mother um so she's been around for a long time and she does a really good job uh graham green uh not the author it's weird <laughs> that there'd be somebody with the exact same name especially this guy who is a uh, native american um he plays a character named kicking bird and if you've seen Graham Greene is a guy that you know him if you saw him. Yeah. I've been a big fan of his for a long time, partially because, oddly enough, he was on a show called The Red Green Show. A oh, Cana- really? A Canadian comedy. Did you that? ever watch that? I did. I did watch the show. Do okay. you know if he's from Canada? I think he probably is, yes. Yeah, um, here he was born in Six Nations Reserve, Ontario, Canada. There yep. you go. And so, uh, and I, he was the, uh, on The Red Green Show, he was the explosive expert. Okay. Remember that character? Who, uh, and I, I seem, I always remember this this exchange where he's talking about like, he goes, you know, I remember people always asking me uh, all kinds of questions like, uh, like, shouldn't you be using a longer wick and uh, where'd the schoolhouse go? And, and it's, uh, and I always thought it was very funny because he de- delivers in a very deadpan kind of way. Uh, and then, um, a favorite actor of mine who unfortunately passed away a few years ago, Maury Chaikin, mm. uh, is in the film for a very short period of time. He plays an army major who's gone insane and is, and you don't realize it immediately. And then as he starts to write out Kevin Costner's orders and you see that it's all just scribbles, uh, <laughs> you think you realize, Oh, okay. This person has gone insane, but there's a real sadness to him as well. Huh. It's just a real, <clears throat> And then also, uh, Charles Rocket, who, again, unfortunately has passed away, I believe, uh, I believe he killed himself. Um, he plays a, an army lieutenant, mm-hmm. and, his, uh, and he's interesting because he shows up later in the film. He's the head of, of you know, the, uh, like, it probably in the last 20 to 30 minutes, uh, there are um, uh, army officers that confront Kevin Costner, and they seem very narrow-minded and stuff but he doesn't he still sticks to his orders and he still treats kevin costner as a potential traitor but there is something behind him that makes him you you get the impression that he wants to listen Hmm. um unfortunately the character's life is cut short and you feel like that's too bad because i think this guy might have actually been able that he could have been convinced that uh that kevin costner was not uh, a traitor nor was he hostile or anything like that so hmm. uh so characters like that and, and performances like that really kind of round out uh round out what i'm talking about that that it's not merely the noble savage that there are you know there are good white characters there are bad native american characters so i don't know it's just it's it's a more complex film than i think people give it credit for and because and so let's see what did it win it won picture director adapted screenplay cinematographer uh, sorry cinematography sound editing and original score uh who was the cinematographer do you know i do not know off the top of my head i wish i had written it down i'll see if i can look that up. um 
And I feel like uh, I, I'm actually kind of okay with it winning Best Picture. Do I think it's as good as Goodfellas? I don't think I do. But they're also so difficult to compare. You know, I mean, one, they're, they're two so very different movies. Yeah. It's like it, it reminds me of when someone said, "Oh, what's better, Titanic or LA Confidential?" Um, well, <laughs> what it, what are you looking for? It's you know, it's one of the things that we don't ta- we don't get to talk about very often, uh, which is what I mean. 1964, the winner of Best Picture was My Fair Lady, correct? 64? I think. Yes. All right. It was up against, among others, Dr. Strangelove. How can you possibly (laughs) compare Dr. Strangelove to My Fair Lady? I don't Mm -hmm. know. Uh, 1971, among the nominees, Fiddler on the Roof and A Clockwork Orange. (laughs) How can you even begin to compare these? And so, in the same way, I feel like you know, as we talk about, as we've talked about before, there is a certain idea of what a best picture is. Dances with Wolves absolutely fits into that. Uh, certainly yeah. at this time period, because the 80s was all about, you know, we're all about epics and stuff. Yeah. In the 90s a little bit too. And it, it feels like there's a lot of it that has kind of a, I mean, how intentional do you think is the kind of Lawrence of Arabia thing to it? Oh, maybe. Yeah. There, I, there's definitely a quality to that. I feel like especially the way that you were talking about how it comes off more in the in the director's cut, that sounds more like the type of attitude that Lawrence of Arabia has, has, because yeah. that's never a movie that exalts the Arab peoples over the white people. Right. Um, it, it shows both sides as good and bad. And with the, you know, both have good or bad intentions or ulterior motives or anything and, and makes a much more balanced, a much more interesting movie. And that sounds like what you're saying. That's what the direct, the, the, uh, extended edition feels like. And, you know, I didn't even think of it, but you're, I think you're absolutely right. It does feel like that. It's this, character who doesn't feel like he belongs where he is and then purposely finds this this other culture and feels that he belongs more in in there mm-hmm. and uh becomes somewhat of a mystery to the to the people that he is more similar to yeah and the place where they are is um is kind of a new and yeah. is a new land to his people anyway yeah. something kind of uh alien so um so okay, uh, real quick, uh, we'll go through the kind of the basic uh, the basic format here. Uh, the other best picture nominees this year were Goodfellas, as we've mentioned, uh, Awakenings, Ghost, and The Godfather Part Three. Awakenings is a very good movie. Ghost is fine. Godfather Part Three is not very good. Um, so, you know, for me, it's between Dances with Wolves and Goodfellas. And frankly, I think it just depends on your mood. I think a movie, if Goodfellas, as we say a lot. Goodfellas is more of a 2000s type of best picture. It is. It feels like it, it feels like it was made later. Yeah. Like when you see it, if you go and watch it now, it, it's kind of weird to think that it's 1990. It feels like it could have come out. It could have been an episode of the Sopranos, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, and it kind of, I mean that along with, you know, stuff like mean streets and just Scorsese in general, but that one really changed, I think the way we view, uh, gangster movies and monster yeah. movies. And yeah. so, um, but I think, you know, I'm excited that it was nominated. Um, yeah. And I believe it won only one Oscar that year for supporting actor. It's probably one of those ones that was too, was too much not of its time, you know, was yeah. too much ahead of its time. And I think we see ones like that happen nowadays. There are movies that, we were glad to see them get a nomination and they're great, but you know, they're never going to win because they're too, yeah. 
too on the edge, maybe. Yeah, it's like Pulp Fiction. It's like Fargo. Yeah. It's one of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, even though I'm actually not a huge fan of Goodfellas, I still appreciate a lot about it. I think there's mm-hmm. a great deal of virtuoso filmmaking. Uh, to me, in the last half, as things start to fall apart, uh, of course, I've, I'm fine with the movie feeling like it should. You know, it feels like it's falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, I just, I don't know. It's It's a film that doesn't seem... Story-wise, it doesn't seem that vital to me. Hmm. Filmmaking, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm right there with it every step of the way. But part of me is just like, I don't. Why am I? Why am I watching this? Mean Streets felt more. Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, like a lot of other Scorsese films, feel, feel more vital to me hmm. as a person than than Goodfellas does. But anyway, that's just me. Um, other notable 1990 releases. Uh, my favorite film of 1990 was Barbet Schroeder's Reversal of Fortune, mm-hmm. which was up for uh, director and uh, other things. It won Best Actor um, for Jeremy Irons. Uh, I'm a big fan of Reversal of Fortune. You saw it, right? Yeah, yeah. I think for, we watched that for a movie now one time. Yeah. And that was a, that was one I had never seen, and I'm glad I saw it. I liked it a lot. Uh other and that's the thing. Looking at kind of the, the quick list that I made here, there's really not other a lot of other movies that seem best picture like. Um, no, there's not so much. And uh, honestly, there's not a whole lot of these that I love. Um, I actually, I'll, I'll go through the, again. This is just a list that I made of just notable movies that yeah, people yeah, know yeah. Uh, and maybe remember: uh, Misery, The Grifters, Dick Tracy, Edward Scissorhands, Miller's Crossing, The Hunt for Red October, uh, Hunt for Red October, Longtime Companion, Metropolitan, Wild at Heart, Quick Change, Gremlins Two. That's the new batch, Josh. Oh, okay. And uh, Total Recall. Now, obviously, Gremlins Two is not going to be up for Best Picture, <laughs> but uh, but there are actually a lot of movies here that I love. I love The Grifters. I love Dick Tracy and Edward Scissorhands and Miller's Crossing. There are a lot of movies that I genuinely love, but they're just not best picture type. Aside no, from Reversal of Fortune, I think. Edward Scissorhands, I think, is important because I, I don't know. When I think back, I feel like that is the, that might be the purest uh, film of Tim Burton's style, you know? I think Batman Returns. That's, that's Maybe, mine. maybe. Yeah. I, I think you could easily make an argument for either one of those. Um but yeah, I like that one because it's that. I think it's I think it's when the Tim Burton thing works. It's one of those ones where it yeah. really is working. Um, yeah. And now that we see it, and so much happening now where it really doesn't work. When you see when you remember movies like this, you're it still felt novel, and it still felt like he was. I mean, I'm sure he feels very involved in the. He, I'm sure he's very invested personally in the movies that he's making now. But like Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. That's five solid movies that and you can tell he's just passionate about every frame yeah and i think as time has gone on i think he's kind of gotten comfortable yeah could be um and then metropolitan is a film that, of all these on here that might be my favorite that's that's a film that i love that's Whit stillman correct uh, yeah i'm a yeah. big i'm a big Whit stillman fan um yeah and you had stuff like miller's crossing which is a coen brothers movie that i yeah. think is wonderful and yeah. it's it's so interesting that that came out the same year as goodfellas very different types of yeah gangster movies yeah um and both of them at miller's crossing felt more like an old-time gangster movie but still brought with it a sensibility that is very coen brothers-esque yeah. and thus feels different than the godfather or any mm-hmm. of these other types of things um but yeah, uh, and then, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Godfather Part 3 was nominated that year, even though it was not a beloved film by any stretch of the imagination. It almost felt like they nominated it uh, because they didn't know they couldn't. It almost seems like an obligation. Like, the yeah. first two won, so they were like, well, we can't not nominate, not even nominate the third one. <laughs> yeah. 
it's yeah it's almost like it was pre-printed on the ballot <laughs> um but yeah so um so yeah, 1990 was a very was an interesting year. Oh, and yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of Dick Tracy, and there was actually a lot of speculation that that was going to be uh, not necessarily sweep the Oscars as far as wins, but as far as nominations, that it was hmm. going to be huge. And certainly, as far as makeup and cinematography and stuff, it was it got nominated for a bunch of things. But uh, but yeah, that was not the powerhouse that people expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, 90 was an interesting year and one that, as time has gone on, I think people associate it with. Forrest Gump and Pulp Fiction, English Patient, and um, uh, Fargo. And I don't think it deserves to be, especially now that I've watched the extended edition, because I think there's a lot to recommend uh, about Dances with Wolves. So if you, uh, the listener, if you haven't seen it, I would say seek out that extended edition. You'll need to set aside four hours of your day, which I yeah. did. And uh, it, although I will say this, uh, moves pretty fast. Oh, that's good. Um, because there's an episodic nature, not unlike Lawrence of Arabia, there's an episodic quality to it that uh, you never sit in one place too long. So I, honestly, I think a lot of times I would take a fast four hours over a slow hour and a half. Oh, absolutely. Um, so okay, I think we will uh, we will end it there. Um, I will I, I will make this announcement uh, one more time because um, this will be going up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 17th of January, I'm going to be in Miami and I have put together a little, uh, meetup. Uh, right now I'll be meeting with, uh, I'll be having dinner with, uh, two listeners of, uh, Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson. And if you are interested in joining us, uh, shoot me an email, tyler at morethanonelesson.com and I will give you the, uh, the specifics and I can plan on you being there. So, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And thank you guys for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye.